Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Tom, good morning. Did you survive the storm yesterday? Yes, it was a bit confining, unfortunately. I uh, but I got out walking in the afternoon. So yeah, It came out of the blue, actually. I went yeah. for a walk in the prom, and literally I was blown along the prom. Walking up was going against the wind, but coming down was a doss. Just yeah, you were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was in Barna Woods. Oh, good man, Tom. Yeah. Woods are lovely in a storm where you're, you know. To the wind and the trees. I, I, I like woods in a storm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but Tom, this week, so um, what have you got in mind? Uh, well, this is the month of May, and uh, there was a very famous Galway tradition in the 19th century called Maine in Menlo. Yes. And uh, it was um, a thing that was started up by the Blake family in who owned Menlo Castle. It's just after the famine. And what they did was for three Sundays in the month of May, <clears throat> they would open up the grounds and they would open up the castle to the public. And it became an enormously uh, public and popular event every year. Uh Huge numbers of boats and steamers used to go up from Galway. Uh, there's a terrific description in John Cunningham's book, wonderful book, A Town Tormented by the Sea, where he describes the tradition and the excitement of the boats from Long Walk as well as Barahalla, plying and the shouting of boatmen, who's for Menlo, tupids ahead, children free, all that kind of thing. Illan right. Pipers on the boats going up and coming back. Mm. Uh, lots of excitement. They had all kinds of uh, sporting contests, whether it was swimming or rowing or yachting or running, races, weight throwing, tennis, all kinds of music and dancing uh, and kind of funny amusements like um, hitting the Maggie, you know, where they'd put a fella in a barrel and he'd pop up every now and then <laughs> for a penny or a halfpenny or something, they'd give you a stick yeah. to throw at him and if you hit him, you won a prize, that kind of thing. I know. <laughs> Excuse me. Greasy poles over the river. And there were uh, big stalls all over the place selling all kinds of foods. The uh, street, sweet vendors, this used to call them, the sweet vendors were working night and day preparing sugar sticks and kiss pipes, which were <laughs> sold in colours of red and white at a halfpenny each. Yeah. Uh, it was enormously popular, and uh, yes. and of course, there were major beer tents, and th there's a lovely line in John Cunningham's book which says, Puritans and temperance fanatics were unknown oh. on Sundays in Menlo. So it was a very exciting, and, yeah. and they opened up, they, they were very generous in what they did. They put a huge welcoming flag up over the top of um, the castle, and that, that which was known, by the way, as the handsomest inhabited old castle.
castle in Ireland. And that was a sign of welcome to all and sundry. So they came by boat, they came by horseback, they came on foot. All of the locals used to avail of this all of the time. And it was it was like a huge carnival every yeah. Sunday in May. Yeah. Uh, until the turn of the century. And for some reason, it began to fade out um, gradually. And then, of course, there was the fire. Yes. The fire which uh, destroyed the house and kind of laid waste to <coughs> the, the major Blake influence in Menlo and surroundings. And, uh, yeah, it was very sad. There were two people mm. killed in this fire and... Uh, you know, but the building yes. was just simply a shell, and to this day, sadly, mm-hmm. is a shell. It's an awful shame, I think. Well, it's quite a tradition in the Clatter as well to uh, celebrate Mary as the Queen of the May. What's the poem? Oh, Mary, we crown thee with blossoms today, Queen of the Angels and Queen of the May. And I, I remember yes. from Mara Simple's book. Uh, there was a procession in the Cladder and they carried the the lovely statue that they have there that was buried for many years, but it's uh, a statue of great reverence now in the Cladder Church. They carried that, uh, the men carried that through the village and they sang that beautiful hymn really to Queen of the May. So it's, yes, it's quite a religious thing. The fact that Menlo made it into a fair is totally part of that celebration isn't it and may yeah. is such a lovely month tom you know with, with the yeah it was kind of like a mardi gras in many yeah, yeah, let's that. get rid of the winter and let's have fun for no, the summer. i love that i absolutely and love that the other thing you mentioned was john's book i have never been able to get a copy of john's book and i'm afraid if i tell him that he'll send me one of the last few copies there is i have asked begged borrowed and pleaded to get copies of it, but it's disappeared. It's out of print. It's a very popular book. So I'm There's a very good uh, bookshop in Lisbon. You might actually use it. I have tried, it. Tom. I have tried. I have tried. I'll try again, though, in case they have uh, yeah. a, a secret stock. But, but Tom, the book I is, is wonderful. It is, yeah. it is an outstanding history of the city of Galway in oh, nice. the yeah. 19th century. That's excellent. excellent. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I really, I, I will look out again for that. But as I said, I've not been lucky. Well, look, I'm going to continue um, with Bridget Kavanagh's book. This lady who is in her 90s has written this brilliant, I think an absolutely brilliant book. And I think an important book in remembering occasions like the Queen of the May you're talking about, but remembering big things. Now, last week, Uh, You know, I was talking about uh, matchmaking that was very uh, prevalent in Strokestown, County Roscommon, where she lived. This week, though, I'm talking about what it was like to live in deepest rural Ireland during the Second World War. And her family didn't have a radio, so they didn't know that war was declared until eventually news came to them. But... um, uh, they, they certainly woke up very quickly because of rationing. And yeah. what happened there was that uh, Churchill was very anxious uh, to persuade de Valera to give him the harbours of Cove 
Bearhaven and Loch Swilly to take and to shelter his merchant navy who were coming across the Atlantic with vital war material and foodstuffs for Britain and for Ireland. Ireland had no merchant navy at the time. We depended or just relied or took for granted that England would send, would bring us over the imports that we needed. But Churchill put on this pressure to such an extent, actually, I'm not using this, but I have read about this, to such an extent that late one night, and Churchill was renowned sometimes for taking a, a little drop of lemonade late at night, he phoned up De Valera straight and said, now, this is our chance. Give me my ports that I need, and I will give you the six counties. Come on, he said, a nation once again, let's do it. But De Valera was, you know, hummed and hawed. And he thought the next day, well, the unionists would not accept that under any circumstances. So that fell by the wayside. So De Valera said, we're a neutral country. We will not open our ports to any belligerent country that's at war at the moment, whether they're British, German or whatever. You cannot use our ports. So after persuading the best that he could, and Churchill was very persuasive, man, he suddenly decided, ah, I've had enough. So he turned off the tap. He told his merchant navy, you're not to supply Ireland with food. We need it more. And all the foodstuffs are to remain in the UK if they make it across the Atlantic. Don't forget the submarine war was making that quite difficult and challenging. So that's what happened. Ireland found itself without a merchant navy and scrambling around to develop indigenous industries to make up for what they were losing. And they were losing things like tea, butter, flour, bread, of course, paraffin, petrol, tobacco, and many other things that were considered quite essential. And uh, Bridget is very good on all of this, her dad going mad for the lack of cigarettes. The big thing that they missed was tea. Uh, farming homes had usually a chest of tea. They bought tea in a chest because the Irish drink tea nonstop, as we know. And during those years, Tea was almost like a food. You produce tea and you had a slice of bread. So tea was very important. Without tea and tea uh, been severely rationed and then going on the black market really did hurt people and caused a lot of upset and uh, a feeling that we are being deprived. Now, just finally, I don't want to hug this too long, but <laughs> it's quite funny that Dublin, of course, thought that the rest of Ireland living off the fat of the land have got it easy. And in fact, a lot of farms, including Bridget's farm, was more or less self-sufficient. It certainly had bacon. They made bread the best they could, and they had milk and they had eggs. In the inner city of Dublin, they didn't have those things. And sadly, there were cases of rickets with small children on the inner city tenements there, having had no vegetables or no fruit for two or three years. And it, it did, unfortunately, show itself in the rickets. But anyway, it's just one of these unique little, you know, moments in history that Bridget Kavner captures very well. And I think she's done us all a great service. She's certainly done her family a great service. They'd be delighted to know how the family survived uh, during the last century. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, Tom, we didn't ask our parents enough 
to tell us their story. Did you ask your mum and dad about their story? Do you know all that all that they went through during the war? Not really, no. Uh, I don't know. I may have asked them, but I don't think they ever told me, for yeah. one thing. I do remember vaguely, just vaguely, uh, ration books after the war. Uh, I mean, this was up until about maybe 1950 or even later. Uh, but I was too young, really, to I know. take much cognizance of them, you know. Uh, well, I was the same, really. And yeah. even at school... You know, it wasn't taught. I don't think I don't think I ever heard mention of the Second World War, which incidentally the Irish called euphemistically the emergency and didn't really <laughs> refer to the word war at all. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one thing, though, I thought when I was reading this again over the weekend and thinking of Bridget Kavna and her family, you know, they as a generation went through severe hardships probably far more severe maybe than what we're going through now with the lockdown and the, the virus and the COVID-19 and stuff like that. They went through all of that and indeed survived and prospered. So I think we can, we can take hope from all of that, Tom. You know? I think that generation really, as with many generations before Ronnie, simply worked very hard. I think to so. make our lives, our lives much better. Yeah. And you're right. And I would sincerely hope that uh, our children and grandchildren will, uh, as a result, if we can keep this process going, ongoing, have it a little bit easier and a little less of that kind of hardship that you talked about. My, my wife, Maureen, came from a small farm in East Mayo, and they were absolutely self-sufficient. Uh, they went into town to go to Mass. That was it. You know, uh, uh, they grew all of their own vegetables, potatoes. Uh, they they had their eggs, as you say, chickens, you know, mm -hmm. occasional uh, pig being killed. That's the kind of thing. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And there are no regrets. And they made mm -hmm. their own butter. They made their own jams. They, all of that kind of thing. Uh, yes. You know, and did it with a lot of imagination and skill as well. Oh, and, but, uh, oh absolutely. Do you know, yeah. we talk about, Tom, how cities and, you know, big towns have changed. You and I have grown up in Galway now. Galway, we've seen Galway grow from a large town into a small city with all those problems that go along with that. But nothing compares, I think, to the change in rural Ireland. Uh, from what I can only observe, it really has changed dramatically. And that kind of self-sufficiency now really does not exist. I could be oh, wrong, no. but I think generally speaking, it does not exist because usually the farmer himself is a part-time farmer and he has a job in Galway or Castle Bar or somewhere like that. And very often his wife is working too. And I can see them flying around the countryside, barely time to talk because they're all so busy collecting children, leading them off, coming back from work, getting dinner, cooking food, and of course, doing the lambing which is still, I'm glad to say, very much done in East Galway and done to great perfection. Such a joy to see the lambs. But I'm just saying that rural Ireland has changed, Tom, and um, it's, it, has, it doesn't do that self-sufficiency now. I'm not saying it's changed for the worse. I don't think so at all. I think it's just for the better. But it's just that those days have gone as well. And it gives another value to Bridget Kavanagh's book. 
Well, I moved out to Barn just over 50 years ago, and all my friends thought I was mad. Where? That's in Connemara. That's out in the sticks. You're miles from everywhere. Barna is a suburb now today. I mean, the city has literally grown out to meet us here. And uh, what was, uh, there's very little agricultural land left, maybe to the west of Barna, yes, as we head towards Furbo. But even then, the whole housing thing, it's been slowly taken over by concrete, the the landscape. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, I'm afraid that's one of the consequences. One of the consequences. Well, look, Tom, I think we have enough stuff again for about two pages each, but um, (laughs) (laughs) we'll go down and try and put it together. uh, And I'm looking forward to reading what you have to say. Okay, Ronnie and you. Take care, Tom. God bless you. Bye. Bye Bye now. Bye. Nice to talk.